0: All right, and now I would like to read to you from the book of Romans, chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. I commend to you, this is Paul writing, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Syncret, I don't know how to pronounce this, guys, Phoebe is a deacon of a church. Verse two, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend, Epitonidas, I picked a doozy of a passage to read publicly today. Uh, I think it's Epi- Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. This is a part of one of our sacred texts. Thanks be to God. Okay, so it seems to me that progressive Christians are often bashing Paul, occasionally trying to redeem him, or most often ignoring him altogether to focus on Jesus. And one of the things that Paul gets a bad rap for is his uh, treatment of women, specifically this verse that has been quoted at me more times than I care to remember. 1 Timothy 2.12. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be quiet. Funny enough, most scholars don't even think that Paul wrote the book of of 1 Timothy as in someone else wrote first Timothy, but used Paul's name, which means which we think Paul hates women based on a single sentence the guy probably didn't actually write. (laughs) Still, he was a dude in the first century. We can't exactly expect him to have read Gloria Steinem and Audre Lorde or be up to date with third and fourth wave feminism. But I do think we can expect something of the liberating energy of the Christ to have rubbed off on the guy. So the question, I think, is not was Paul a misogynist, but more accurately, how misogynistic was he? Was the boundary breaking, gender bending spirit, spirit is a feminine word, at work, even in Paul, even amidst a highly patriarchal culture. I think the best way to know how Paul viewed women is to pay attention to the women. Everyone wants to focus on that one little verse in 1 Timothy penned in Paul's name, but they skip over the actual women who worked and served and preached alongside Paul. It's why I read to you from what might otherwise seem like a boring bit of letter from the book of Romans. Notice the women. In just seven short verses, Paul commends to us no less than four incredible women. Phoebe, who was a deacon of a church in a city I can't pronounce. Priscilla, we read about her earlier in the service and learned that even though she was a woman, she taught Apollos, a man already very learned in scripture, but who needed Priscilla's additional guidance. We read about Mary, We don't know if this is one of the Mary's we already know about from scripture or a new one, but either way, she's worked very hard, says Paul. And then finally, Junia, who is not just an apostle, but get this, outstanding among the apostles. So that means we've got Phoebe, a deacon and a benefactor, Priscilla, a teacher and a coworker in Christ who has risked her life for Paul, Mary, who has done something unknown, but that was hard, And Junia, an apostle who had been in prison with Paul, is outstanding among the apostles and knew Christ before Paul did. Greet them, Paul writes. He doesn't say silence them, shut them up, make them learn in quiet submission. Just greet them. That's all. And then there's my all-time favorite contemporary of Paul. Thecla. She doesn't make an appearance in our traditional Bibles, but there's an entire book about her in the New Testament Apocrypha titled The Acts of Paul and Thecla, which is really about the Acts of Thecla after she meets Paul. Paul does very little in the book. And in the book, Thecla is a young girl betrothed to a man, Themirus, when by chance, sitting at her window one night, she overhears the Apostle Paul preaching in the nearby house. She's mesmerized and refuses to leave her window. She stays there, listening to Paul's words. Distraught, her mother calls for Themirus, and as the story goes, he quote came with the greatest pleasure as he hoped now to marry her. And he arrives at their house, asking Thecla's mother, "Where is my Thecla?" I'm going to read to you directly from the text now because it's, <laughs> because it just sounds like something straight out of a dramatic play. Thecla's mom. Thamiris, I have something very strange to tell you. Thecla, for the space of three days, will not move from the window, not so much as to eat or drink, but is so intent in hearing the artful and delusive discourses of a certain foreigner that I am completely astonished, Themiris, that a young woman of her known modesty will suffer herself to be prevailed upon, for that man has disturbed the whole city of Iconium, and even your Thecla among others. My daughter, Thecla, like a spider's web, fastened to the window, is captivated by the discourses of Paul and attends upon them with prodigious eagerness and vast delight. And thus by attending to what he says, the young woman is seduced. Now go, speak to her, for she is betrothed to you. Accordingly, Thmiris went, and saluted her with care not to surprise her and said, Thecla, my spouse, why are you sitting in this melancholy posture? What strange impressions are made upon you? Turn to Themiris and blush. You know how we women are. We love being interrupted in the middle of our thoughts by men who wish us to turn to them and blush. But Thecla, strangely enough, is not impressed. So then her mother tries again to persuade her from the window. She does not move. And then they all begin weeping, Thamiris, for he's losing his spouse, her mother, for she's losing her daughter. Even the maids weep. Quote, there was universal mourning in the family. Since Thecla cannot be persuaded with mere words, Thamiris concocts a plan and gets Paul arrested, assuming this will put an end to Thecla's reckless fascination. But it doesn't work. She sneaks out of the house, bribes the prison guards, and visits Paul in jail to sit at his feet and learn more. When her family learns of this, they are so outraged that her mother, her own mother, Demands that Thecla be burned for refusing to marry her betrothed. And you might think to yourself, whew, glad we don't live in a world anymore where mothers would burn their daughters for refusing to marry men. But when I read that, oh my queer heart. Maybe it's not a fire but a disowning or the threat to remove financial support or public shaming, or you can no longer be around our children or a tongue lashing or Bible thumping or conversion therapy. This story feels so familiar, like I've heard it a thousand times. Thecla is brought naked to the stake. And as the people set the wood around her on fire, Thecla makes the sign of the cross and God opens up the heavens so that rainwater floods out the fire and Thecla is saved. And what does Thecla do after that but go in search of her dear Paul and when she finds him, she asks to be baptized but he tells her to wait with patience. Paul doesn't think she's ready, I guess. I mean, he does take her with him to Antioch, but come on, man, you're going to be gatekeepy about baptism with a girl who just almost got herself burned at the stake for visiting you in prison? Just how misogynistic is Paul on a scale of zero to ten? Hard to say, but it isn't zero. Zero. Paul and Thecla arrive in Antioch. By the way, did I mention Thecla is very beautiful? Anyway, as soon as they enter the town, this rich, important guy named Alexander sees her and falls in love or falls in lust, whichever one of those it is when you want someone after knowing not a single thing about them other than their appearance. Anyway, the rich guy tries to give Paul all these presents as a way to get to Thecla. And Paul, upstanding gentleman that he is, just pretends he has no idea who Thecla is. And at this point, apparently, with no man to stand in his way, Alexander decides he's free to just seize Thecla right there on the street and kiss her. You know how we women are. We just love being seized and kissed without consent. But Thecla, strangely enough, hates it. Hates it so much that she tears his clothes, takes off his crown, throws it to the ground, which is super humiliating for him. So he tattletales on her Horrifying behavior to the governor, who, as a consequence, condemns Thecla to be killed, which is how women learn not to protest a man's advances, no matter how unwanted they may be. And so, for the second time since meeting Paul, Thecla is to be killed, this time, death by wild beasts. And I really want to tell you the entire story here because it's so fascinating, but I'm going to make myself summit up by telling you that the first wild beast in the pit is a female lion who turns around and protects Thecla from the rest of the animals. But then the she-lion gets killed and Thecla is alone again. So Thecla prays, then notices a body of water there in the pit and decides to throw herself into it. And I forgot to tell you that the, the crowd is basically rooting for Thecla at this point, especially the women. And they cry out, warning her away from the water because it's filled with deadly sea lions. But Thecla ignores them and plunges into the water, saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, I baptize myself. Which to me is so symbolic of that point in a woman's life. That point where she feels like she has nothing else to lose. And so she just finally throws herself, heart, body, and soul into the baptismal waters of her own authority. She's no longer waiting for Paul to approve or say she's ready. She is out of time and will not wait another second for a man to help her baptize her or save her. How misogynistic is Paul? It doesn't freaking matter because Paul isn't the authority of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we baptize ourselves. So let's stop obsessing over Paul and the little verse he did or didn't write, because who's got time for that? I don't. No time. When Thecla dunks herself, this cloud of fire protects her. But then they send out even more wild beasts. So the women in the crowd cry out mournfully and they begin scattering herbs and spices and and the quantity of the perfume was so great, it lulled the animals to sleep and Thecla is once again saved from death the story goes on. And I like to keep telling it because it's just so good. But I'll stop here after telling you that Thecla then next dresses herself like a man, probably to avoid more near martyrdoms, and starts preaching. Why this book is called the Acts of Paul and Thecla, I have no idea. Except that maybe you mean, need a man's name in the title to get people to read it. I mean, It's the same reason I titled my sermon after Paul instead of thecla in hopes that people would tune in. But really, this isn't a sermon about Paul or how misogynistic he was or wasn't. This is a sermon about the irrelevancy of Paul's misogyny, of misogyny, period. Not irrelevant in the sense that misogyny doesn't cause real and lasting harm because it does. But irrelevant in the sense that women have been baptizing themselves for more than two thousand years already, and it doesn't make any sense that we're still obsessing about the true meaning of First Timothy two twelve. The point is, if you feel the tug of the Spirit on your soul, you are called. Period. Argument over. If you have been blessed and anointed by Spirit, no one gets to tell you you aren't ready. Period. Argument over. If you don't want to marry a man or accept his advances, they can try to burn you at the stake, but they cannot condemn you to hell because they aren't in charge of the afterlife or your life, period. Argument over. This is a sermon about women, but it isn't just a sermon for women. It's a sermon for that part of you, male, female, somewhere in between or beyond gender, that doubts your capacity to hear from God as my three-year-old would say by your own self I try to help her I do it my own self she insists oh may the spirit of that three-year-old child fall down like Pentecost on us all not talking about rugged individualism Remember that chorus of women with their spices who helped save Thecla from the beasts. I'm talking about that deep soul knowing that no one can take away from you, that beats on your heart like a steady drum. You are loved, you are worthy, you are called, you are good. This is a sermon about the truth that thumps within you, regardless of misogyny, regardless of homophobia, regardless of criticism, regardless of self-doubt, regardless, regardless, regardless. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Amen.